And then we turn to Matthew chapter 2, our lectionary text. And if you're familiar with this portion of the gospel, you know that in chapter 2, verses 1 to 9, we have the story of the wise men uh, coming to Jerusalem and saying, where is the one who's born king of the Jews? And then Herod is all upset, and he uh, uh, sends the people, uh, the wise men, to Bethlehem. So at verse 10, this is where we pick up the story. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. And stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. And where he, stayed until, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years older and under in accordance with the time he learned from the Magi. And then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. As far as the reading from God's holy word. Have you turned back into scriptures if you'd like to follow along that way to Matthew chapter 2 at verse 13. I'm a little bit worried as I begin this sermon. I, uh, I uh, kind of messed up. I, well, last time I preached in this passage about three years ago, I got to the part of verse 12 where the wise men were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. And I slipped up and said that the wise men were warned not to go back to Harriet. And my, my organist and her husband about fell off the bench <laughs> laughing. So if I make that mistake today, I'll, you know, just, uh, I've already given the, the joke for it. So uh, just Scratch it up to, the guy's getting old, okay? So, Matthew 2 is where we're at, verse 13 is where we start, and the title of it today is The Persecution and Preservation of the Son of God and His People. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you for being our God and for the life and ministry of your Son, Uh, Jesus Christ, how he lived among us, how he took upon himself our human nature, 
how he doesn't call us to go through anything that he himself hasn't gone through. And we thank you that he was obedient, uh, that he was our, our perfect sacrifice. Uh, we pray that we would learn of him who is our king, uh, who is God, uh, who is the one that we owe everything to. And we just ask you to encourage everyone today, strengthen us all in our faith, and uh, we pray that the preaching be faithful to that end, that someday we'd be able to praise you in heaven. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. How do you feel about the Lord's second coming when we're told, yes, I'm coming soon? In Matthew chapter 2, we see that Herod is told of the coming of Jesus. He's the king, he's a wicked king, he's a, he's a great king. In that area, he has built many wonderful um, structures, including uh, he's redone the temple. It's taken is an enormous uh, work of, uh, of, of art, and, and we find that uh, uh, his work is to be appreciated today in the ruins of, uh, of Israel. But Herod was a very wicked man and very, very, very ruthless. And, and when he heard from the wise men, you know, the, the king of Israel was born, the one that was uh, prophesied in Scripture, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. They, they weren't like, oh, wonderful. This is God's, God's work coming to pass. And so when we, we read the words of Jesus at the close of the Bible, uh, how should we respond? Yes, I'm coming soon. Do, do you respond as the apostle, which is, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Or as King Herod, we're, we're disturbed at the thought of, a real king coming. Maybe we want to be the king. Maybe we don't want anybody to tell us about our lives or live for anyone else but ourselves. Well, the Bible portrays the world we live in as a clash of kingdoms. And it starts out that way in uh, Genesis chapter 3. And we, we read about that on, on the night of, of, of our Christmas observance where we went through the the main passages of the Bible that tr tr track the history of salvation, where we see the, the devil being told of the serpent that the serpent's head would be crushed, that the seed of the woman would bring this about, that God would put enmity or hostility or a conflict between the seed of the, the serpent uh, and the seed of the woman. And what we have pictured there is the people that belong to the evil one. They're going to show up very quickly in the story of Genesis as God uh, brings forth uh, the record of human history and the seed of the woman, the godly, the godly line. And there's going to come one who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent, in turn, is going to bite the heel of the one who's going to crush him. And so where was Satan crushed? He was crushed uh, on the cross where Jesus broke his power. And it was on the cross where Jesus died. And, and so they, the, the prophecy of, being, of striking his heel, uh, the venomous snake. We have from the beginning then, Genesis 3, good news for God's people that there was going to be a savior. God was going to send someone 
who is going to deliver them from death and from this separation from paradise, from the presence of God. There was good news of grace that God was going to make this provision of forgiveness, but there was bad news of a conflict with the serpent. And as you read through the Bible, you see this all through the scripture. We come to the book of Revelation in chapter 12, and we, we see there this, um, this symbolic picture of, in, in the very last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, uh, we see this symbolic picture, and, and the book of Revelation's got a lot of symbols, and, and there's a sign, a wonder sign in heaven, so there's no way you can say this isn't a symbol, of a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, a crown of 12 stars, and we're reminded of Joseph's dream, uh, this picture of the people of God in Joseph's time. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. And then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. And his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. A picture of, of the devil here and the red dragon and, and taking out a third of the angels that would follow him. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who's about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God to his throne. So we have this picture of the devil wanting to devour the child, of the child, a male child, to rule the nations, with an iron scepter, a child snatched up to God, a picture of the ascension and his rule on the throne. And the woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. You read through the book of Revelation, you see three and a half years and, and uh, um, on and on where you have these, the same length of time symbolizing the period of time that we're living in right now. So the woman's a picture of the church, and she is taken to the desert where she is prepared, cared for by God. And so we have at the, the starting book of Genesis, the ending book of Revelation, we have this picture of the persecution of Christ. Uh, the dragon wants to devour him. And this was Herod, uh, one of the evil ones who belonged to uh, Satan uh, wanting to kill Christ. And we have the victory of Christ in this symbolic picture of him being snatched up to heaven and ruling. And we have the protection of God's persecuted people uh, in the church, uh, protected by God. And the promise there also in that, in that uh, symbolism, that, that sign that's given, uh, where this contest goes on, and then we read the voice, or hear about the voice from heaven. Now have come the salvation and the power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So we have the uh, salvation coming to past, and we have the devil accusing 
Christian people. I would say that's, I, that he does that to you. He does that to me. He accuses me of uh, past sins. But they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. In other words, looking to the cross um, by the power of Jesus, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives as so much as to shrink from, from death. And so the picture is that God's people will overcome. The devil will not have the last word. But like Jesus, we'll see the devil crushed under our feet. Now, so you have the start of the Bible, you have the end of the Bible, and then if you go to the middle of the Bible and you go to Psalm 2, you have the Messianic Psalm, uh, one of many in the Psalms. They're not all Messianic Psalms, uh, but Psalm 2 is certainly one. Now, why do the nations conspire and all the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one, which you could also translate against his Christ. That's what anointed one means. Let's break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. So the picture of the rulers, and King Herod would be one of them, shaking their fist at God, and we have people doing that today. And the nations, perhaps even in our own nation, where we look at God's laws, as people did here, and say, let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. So have you ever seen somebody, a criminal, being transported somewhere and they're shackled? They got shackles on their feet, they, they're handcuffed. Well, that is how people that hate God look at his rule, how they look at his commandments. They say, no, we gotta throw them away. They're like shackles. And we see that in our time uh, very obviously in, 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 in this country. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord rebukes at them. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. So God is on his throne. He watches this behavior and he laughs. Not, he doesn't laugh because he enjoys it. He laughs. He scoffs at them. He says, ha, you think you're going to accomplish anything here? No. He said, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. And then he goes on to say, you're my son today, I become your father. Ask me, I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter, you will dash them to pieces. So we have this picture that the rulers rage against God's anointed, but it is pointless. Because God is going to give the nations for his son to rule to the ends of the earth, the whole, the whole thing. And therefore, uh, there's the, the ending to Psalm 2. It says, therefore, therefore, uh, kings, be wise. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Uh, so there's a call for people in places of power to acknowledge the, the rule of King Jesus. And now we see the secular rulers do not want the rule of King Jesus. Case, King Herod is, a, is a, a case in point. Herod was a lying politician. Uh, he lied to the wise men. He said, oh, please let me know where he is. When you find him, come tell me so I, I too can worship him. It's a lie. Uh, God looks in the heart. We might be fooled sometimes, but God's never fooled. And Herod had been previously appointed by the Roman Senate. He had been previously appointed king of the Jews. 
But he saw that as his title. Now in history, we know that he was not really a Jewish descendant. He was from uh, the line of Esau. He was, in fact, an Edomite. And it was like the old uh, hatred between Esau and, and Jacob here. Uh, Esau hated Jacob. Well, Herod hated Jesus. Herod was a cruel and evil tyrant. In history, he murdered his, his favorite wife. Wow, what kind of a human being would that be? Uh, he murdered three of his sons. That's how evil he was. Augustus, his Caesar, who was, you might say, his boss, as he looked down in his underling, he said, it would be better to be Herod's pig than Herod's son, because Jews didn't eat pigs, of course. Uh, and, and so he thought that'd be a safer deal. Uh, he had 10 wives and 14 children, and he pretty much did whatever he wanted. And at the, as he thought about this king being born and the wise men um, deceiving him, uh, he, as a safety measure, had the uh, male children, the, the boys at Bethlehem, two years and under, uh, be slaughtered. And uh, we find this also fulfillment of what God uh, had prophesied in Scripture. Uh, the estimates go from 12 to 20 children and in terms of the population of this town. Uh, there's no record of it in history, but this was a very cruel, cruel time by a very cruel king, and it might not have even been considered that uh, unusual in, under his rule. We have, as we think about Jesus, uh, he came, came to be the king, born king of the Jews. That was on his cross, king of the Jews, and that's why people crucified him. And he's, he rules now in the hearts of his people. The kingdom of God is already, the kingdom of God is now. And Jesus is ruling in the hearts of his people right now. How do you feel about that? I think that's a good thing. I, I'm cheered up whenever I hear such a thing, that someone else has, has come to faith. And, and you know, I think about all the good things that we have in our society. And I mentioned when our, our, our roof was put on and uh, the people came from Bismarck and they had to haul this equipment and they had, I don't know how many ladders, probably had, I'm sure they had 20 ladders here and rather than load them back on the truck. Eventually, they started just leaving them out here closer to our fence, you know. Well, tried to do that in Chicago once and see what happens. Uh, that wouldn't work. But because of the kingdom of God and because of, of what's happened in our culture, we, we have a, a tendency to respect other people's property and say, hey, you know, that belongs to them. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, respect that. Well, the, the rule of of, of God is going to bring wonderful things to a society that we often take for, for granted. And in many countries of the world, there's this tremendous persecution that's going on, where if you're a Christian, uh, the rulers uh, hate you because they want to make their own laws. Uh, they want to determine what's right and wrong. Uh, they want to be the one that, well, they want to be God. They want to be king. Now, they don't want God to be king. And we have forces in our own country that hate the church. 
and mock Christian teaching. I believe that those things are growing. That hatred's growing incrementally, you know, slowly, slowly, slowly growing. And we ought to be conscious of that and do what we can to stand in the way of that. Um, I, I do that selfishly because I don't want it to get worse. Uh, I don't want our society to be totally corrupt and, and totally evil as in some cases where there's no rule of law at all. And, you know, in our country, we've got, the reason our country is so wonderful is because there was a lot of Christian influence at the start. There was a realization that when people get in power and there's no one to, to check and balance the situation, there's no one to provide oversight, that pretty soon people start acting in very corrupt ways. And so we have to be con very concerned about that when we see it happening in our own time. So don't take your present religious freedom for granted thinking that for the Christian faith, everybody's gonna stand up and cheer. Everybody's gonna say, hey, we want more of that. Uh, no, uh, just be aware that in the history of the world, it's often been the case where there's been persecution for God's people. Now, God provided for his son and the promise that we see in the Bible in many places, also pictured in Revelation 12, 6, that God will provide for his church. And so here, as Joseph was warned in a dream uh, that he had to run away from Herod, and, uh, and he goes down to Egypt uh, for a time. Uh, now, that would have been 75 miles to the border, probably 100 miles to where they would have had to end up. Uh, but... Joseph obeyed the message that he received in that dream, uh, and uh, they went to Egypt. Now, we have the gifts of the wise men, of course, just being given, uh, gold for a king, incense for a priest, uh, myrrh for one who would be uh, buried, uh, myrrh for a mortal, as the song goes, We Three Kings. Uh, the gifts would have been costly. They would have been God's provision for travel. God thinks of everything. When we go on a trip, we want to get our billfold, our purse, our MasterCard, our Visa, whatever it is that we're going to provide for us some income. Here are the gifts that God gave, their, his provision for travel. And we have guidance then given through uh, dreams to Joseph. Now, in our case, uh, there's no, not much guidance in my dreams, I don't think. Uh, not enough to share with you. But uh, Joseph got, received these dreams from God. And, and so in our day, we have something better. We have the written word and we have the Holy Spirit. But Joseph was given guidance through dreams and God directed him in that way. Some people think that, you know, God's in heaven and God doesn't interfere with how things are going. And actually, God interferes quite a bit. And he interfered here because if he hadn't, his son would have been killed by wicked King Herod. And so the Holy Family goes down to Egypt for a time. And they're there until the wicked king dies. And when his, his successor comes on the scene, he's no better. Uh, so uh, 
we see God's prophecies coming to pass in amazing ways. So in chapter 2 at verse 15, we're told that when Jesus went down to Egypt, as the Holy Family took him down, uh, Joseph and Mary took Jesus down to Egypt, so was fulfilled what the Lord has said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. In the book of Hosea, chapter 11, God looks back and that what he did delivering Israel, brought them out of Egypt, brought them out of slavery. The Egyptians, they didn't want to give up their dishwasher. They didn't want to give up their maid. Uh, they, they didn't want to give up the person, people that would do the hard labor. You know, just like in our society, there are people that do hard labor. We don't want to give them up. And so, um, yet God made it happen through the plagues. It shouldn't have happened humanly. But all, all the glory goes to God, and they come up against the Red Sea, and the army comes to bring them back. The people change their mind. God takes them through the Red Sea, and all the glory goes to, to God. And so Jesus, in a way, reenacts this of the, what is the people did coming out of Egypt. Jesus had to come out of Egypt, and he is the true Israel. He's the one that... You know, Israel failed in so many ways as you read through the Old Testament. They just failed all over the place. But Jesus did not. And so we have this picture of the puzzle. And we look at, we don't see how it all fits, but when, when it's all done, when the mission of Christ is over, we see how it all fit together. God told us ahead of time uh, to make our faith even stronger. And then there's a prophecy of Jeremiah regarding the weeping uh, for the slaughtered children in verses 17 and 18. And then we have in verse 23 at the conclusion, the prophecy of being called a Nazarene, where Jesus is that uh, the person who goes to Nazareth. And we, we have this uh, strange place uh, where you know people will look at it in his day. Uh, one of his disciples is called Nathan is called and, and he hears from uh, the person telling him about Jesus, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And as a, the Jewish council considered Jesus, a, he said, they, he can't be the prophet. No, no prophet comes from Nazareth. Well, uh, God's prophecies come to pass. And so we look at our Lord here and we, we need to understand that his life from the get-go was one of suffering. 1 Peter 4 says, do not, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. If you're going to follow Jesus, there's going to be a type of suffering that you're going to go through. And not to say that unbelievers don't have suffering. They, they do. Uh, but uh, if you're a Christian, it's not like God's going to give you heaven right here. In fact, you may have had a very difficult year this past year. And I, I look out in a number of you and I'd say you, a number of you had a very difficult year this past year. As I look at my last year, I would say that was a very difficult year uh, that I went through personally and in ministry and things that have happened to me that people don't know about. And it was very difficult. It, there's suffering in this life. It's, it's not heaven right now. But we look at the life of Jesus, and, and Hebrews tells us that, that Christ obeyed his Father in times of suffering. 
that he was made perfect in the experience of suffering. And so when we go through suffering, and we're going to have it, we're, we're, we can't avoid it, uh, we're going to need to be like Jesus and be obedient. And the way to do that is to realize, as Matthew 2 proclaims in, in this passage, that, that God is faithful. Uh, we, we have God's faithfulness on display. God's faithfulness is, is put before us in his story and his sovereignty. And it's a, a call to faith in times when we're in this conflict of good and evil, uh, of the clash of kingdoms. Uh, we we want to stand with the kingdom of our Lord. Uh, we want to uh, be faithful to him so that he will acknowledge us before his holy angels. And he says to us in our, in our suffering, in our grief, in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Jesus is a king. He's ruling now. He's coming in glory. He says, I'm coming soon, coming with his holy angels. And as we think about it, we cannot be King Herod being troubled by that. But our response should be, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you are the God of history, God of salvation, and it's your will that your people overcome. And so we pray you would help us in times when we are brought low, in times when it is our lot to go through suffering. We don't understand why, uh, but we know that you are a good God, you're merciful, and so we pray you'd help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.